0: Well, as we jump into this morning's message, we will open up to Matthew chapter 4, and uh, the title of this morning's message is His Battle, Our Battle. And it's about this thing called spiritual warfare that we see so many different places in the Scriptures, and we will see poignantly this morning in Matthew chapter 4. Let me begin this morning with a couple brief remembrances from my life. Probably 15 years ago, I had the privilege of discipling a gentleman who was a little bit older than me at that time, but he had come out of a couple addictions, and he had recently made a decision for Christ, and I was starting to do for him what we were talking about this past Sunday, discipleship, and I was doing well what I could to get him into community and teach him the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, we were looking at a number of scriptures together, trying to get him into mission, all the things that we were talking about last week. And one of the things though, that we were doing as I was seeking to disciple him, was uh, just read through a chapter of Matthew each week. And when we got to the book of, of Matthew chapter four and the Temptation of Christ, I'll never remember what this man I'll never forget what this man said to me. He, he said. Adrian, it's difficult enough for me to believe that Jesus is God and you want me to believe that there's actually a devil too? Like, like, come on, this this tests my imagination, Adrian. I I wasn't raised with this stuff. You want me to believe this? Contrast that with another gentleman from my life who's been a, a very good friend through the years, but unfortunately he has... Uh, failed in three marriages, and the way he's failed is by sexual sin, again and again and again, Uh, so much so that I have this ringing in my ears, even a recent conversation that I had with him in which he said, A, you know I don't want to do these things, but the devil gets up in my mind, and then I do it. Another common view out there, have you heard that one? The devil made me do it. Interesting, these are these two very prevalent views of spiritual warfare. One that comes from many different people that you'll meet both in the church and outside the church that it's all kind of a metaphor for the struggle that we would personally have but there's not actually a spiritual being called Satan that we would have to battle against. And another one that you hear from some people that it's almost like there's a good God and there's an evil God and they are at war with each other and if I do something wrong, well, the devil made me do it, which is pretty convenient for escaping this whole idea of human responsibility, I might say. You know, the Bible declares that neither of those are true. What the Scriptures would declare from Genesis to Revelation goes more like this. There is a spiritual war going on. And it's a spiritual war with three very real forces between us and our own flesh. Ain't that so? For all of us. Between us and a world system, a world philosophy that is very much contrary to the will of God. Isn't that so? And between us and a very real being, called Satan, who wants to take down the children of God. Now here's the big idea that you got to take home with you today as it relates to any conversation that you might have about spiritual warfare. Okay, a lot of misinformation out there. This is the big idea related to spiritual warfare, that when people bring this topic up, when you hear another sermon about this, you can hold on to this big idea. Hold on to this. This is truth that you can believe from the scriptures. You ready? Did I build up enough? Okay. Without God's help, you will be defeated. That's the truth. Without God's help, you will be defeated by the power of temptation from one of those three great strong forces, the being called Satan, our flesh, or the world. But with God's help, your victory is assured. You believe that? Say that final part with me. With God's help, your victory is assured. To which we say amen. Our victory is assured with God's help. Now where do I find that? I see it first and foremost in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, in which the apostle John says greater is the one who lives in you and me than the one who lives in the world. The one who lives in the world of course is Satan. The one who lives in us is who? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives his spirit to all who believe in Christ by faith in Christ through the blood of Christ, Jesus gives his spirit to dwell within our hearts and the Holy Spirit is greater than the enemy. You can count on that every time. The Holy Spirit is greater than the enemy. Now, we do have a battle and we must fight and here's how it's stated elsewhere in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ So what that's saying is the battle is in our thought life. The battle is in our mind. The primary place that you are going to win or lose the spiritual battle is right between your ears. That's the primary place that we're going to win or lose the spiritual battle, right between our ears in the places that we give our thoughts. That's fascinating to me as we enter into Matthew chapter 4, that this is Jesus' battle and it's also our battle But I want you to notice that Jesus battles against Satan, and the scripture tells us elsewhere that we are not to battle against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this world. What that means is we do not battle against people. There's a fight for us to to have. We have a fight. But it's not against people. And here's the truth that we must say in this social media day, if you are a Christian and you are battling people, then you are not loving those people. It's almost impossible to battle people and love them at the same time, which is why scripture says to us the battle is not against flesh and blood. Notice what the battle looks like as you listen now to Matthew chapter four.
1: Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again.
0: I find it so fascinating that Jesus is God and yet in his humanity he was tempted as we are tempted. He he was a human. And he was tempted in much the same way as we are tempted. And we can learn a lot from how he fought against temptation in these 11 short verses. The first thing that I notice about What Jesus is doing before he is tempted is this. He's fighting the battle of intake. We fight our battle by focusing our intake. What's he doing for 40 days before he's tempted? Anyone? He's fasting. Now what's the reason for fasting? Fasting is given to us as an ancient spiritual practice by which we would narrow our focus on God. We would remove ourselves from some comforts of this world, whatever they might be. You can fast from almost anything. In this case, he's fasting from food. removed himself from the comfort of food in order to sharpen his focus on God. And interestingly, through his fast, he is intaking this time of communion with God, with the Father for 40 days. He is actually strengthened. Hard to believe. As he's been fasting, he's actually strengthened. Now, if you fasted, you know you don't start off too strong, do you? You begin in weakness. But as you do it as a regular habit, you get stronger over time. So he's fasting, he's fasting, he's focusing his intake. And as he's focusing his intake, the enemy comes to him at the end of this fast, and he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that was quite a temptation, well, when you think about it, right? Because in one of the most obvious statements in all of scripture, it says, after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Well, you think? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So he's hungry, and of course he would like to turn those stones into bread, but he responds to to the enemy by saying, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, he's just been in the presence of God for the past 40 days, receiving from the presence of God, these words from the mouth of God. He's focusing his intake on the goodness of God, and he says back to the enemy, I have a different power source that you know nothing about. And friends, do you believe that to be true? That you have a different power source that the world knows nothing about? It's more than bread alone. We have a different electrical outlet, as it were, the Holy Spirit, which empowers us when we are fighting temptation. Now, once again, the battle is for the mind. And so the question is, What are we sitting our mind on? Because the truth is, we are what we eat. Whatever we meditate on on a regular basis, whatever we feast our mind on, that determines what we are thinking on throughout the day. We are what we eat. I love the way Pastor Rick Warren out at Saddleback Church in Southern California puts it. He says, one of the reasons why you get mentally fatigued is because there's a battle in your brain 24 hours a day. All the time, there's a battle in your brain. It's debilitating because it's intense, and it's intense because your mind is your greatest asset. Satan wants your greatest asset. The battle is for the mind, and Satan wants our mind. And so we make this decision to focus our intake, I for one am convinced that in 2018 American culture, the primary way that we either do or don't focus our intake is our discipline related to visual media. We tend to think that temptation is mostly about sex or power or greed, money. No, those are branches of temptation. The battle is for the mind, and so whatever the mind has been sitting on, on a day in and day out basis, will result in those things, those various temptations. So I want to ask you, what do you set your mind upon? What do you focus on, on a day in and day out basis? It's, it's not that when Satan came to Jesus and he said, turn these stones into bread, that there was something wrong with bread, Right? These were pre-gluten-free days. Bread was still good back then. Okay, there's nothing wrong with bread. And that's the way Satan will come to you. He masquerades as an angel of light so his temptations will not be black and white. They won't be black and white. The way the temptation will oftentimes come to us is through our visual media, which in itself is not bad. There's plenty of great opportunity, there's plenty of great stuff on visual media. It's how we use it. It really is, and so I just have to pause and I have to ask myself and I have to ask you, what are your habits related to video games or Instagram or Snapchat or the news feed on your phone or good old fashioned TV? or Netflix, what are your habits toward these things? Because you are what you eat. We are what we eat. And so we all have to pause and we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis in this culture that we're living in, how much of this stuff am I eating and what effect is it having on my soul? Social science is demonstrating for us again and again that our minds are being changed by the way we are taking in visual media, both for youth and for adults our minds are being changed by the way we take these things in and again it's not all bad that would be far too simplistic but we are wise to pause and ask ourselves from time to time is the way i'm using this stuff is it helping my spiritual life or is it hindering my spiritual life is it helping me run more toward jesus or is it distracting me from jesus Is it helping me love other people well? Or is it leading to false thinking about people, even those that I'm reading about or looking at online? Okay, what's required of us today is wisdom and courage. They're not black and white answers. We have to have the wisdom to ask, is this helping my spiritual life or is it hindering it? And then we have to have the courage to say, as Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and throw off everything that so easily hinders us. What is it that is hindering you in your spiritual life? What is it that is hindering you in your relationships that needs to be thrown off, perhaps even today? I'll tell you that I have as a part of my habit in terms of managing my mind, managing my intake, uh, a habit that on Saturdays, I don't do work unless it's an emergency. And it's a technology free day for me too. One day a week, no technology. Another habit is on an annual basis, I try to go through a media fast, eliminate as much as possible media from my life, and I'm in that right now. So for the past two weeks, other than one little Facebook post that I felt like I really, really needed to make. (laughs) I've gotten off all the social media and gotten away from all the sports and gotten away from the news feed, which is constantly buzzing in my pocket, which can really capture my attention. And I can't tell you how great that has been for me to remove some of the stressors of constantly being on this stuff. And how much more time we have to do things like linger over a letter or really listen to people in a conversation or linger in prayer or do some real soul work that we actually just end up masking because we're always going to the immediate gratification of technology. Can I get a witness? Isn't that the truth? We all do this. There's a man on staff who told me last week that his parents Throughout his days growing up, he used to say this proverb, again and again, garbage in, garbage out. You are what you eat. The battle's for the mind. The garbage we take in eventually will result in garbage out. So what is your discipline for fighting? To focus your mind more and more on Christ. One of the things that I regularly do is offer the members of my body, the parts of my body, offer my mind to Christ as instruments of righteousness. And Romans 6.13 lays this out so beautifully for us. And so I take this and I use it as part of my prayer life. It says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. We have that choice every day. It might say as well, do not offer the parts of your body to triviality as instruments of triviality but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So what if we just did this, this next seven days? What if we all said, God, I surrender my, my mind, my heart, my body to you today, and you pray through the different areas of your body that you would be tempted. You begin by saying, God, I give you my mind that I choose only to think on what is good and right and true and pure. And God, I give you my eyes that I will only look at that what belongs to me. I will bounce my eyes from those that do not belong belong to me. And I give you my ears that I will not listen to any gossip. I will not listen to any criticism. I will not listen to any false slander. I won't even listen to it. And I give you my mouth that I will only speak that which is true and helpful for building others up in love. And I give you my heart, the very core of my being, and I give you... My hands, these hands would be used to bless people and not to hurt people. And I give you my sexuality that I'd honor you, Lord, and I'd honor my wife with the sexuality that you have given as a gift. And I give you my feet that I would not put my feet in any place where they do not belong. Lord, help us. Like, I mean, could you imagine the difference that would make if we seriously offered the parts of our body and our mind to God like that, on a day-in and day-out basis for the next seven days? Would you do that? Even this week, would you consider doing that? This is how, this is part of the way that we fight the battle for our intake. In a second, I better move on here. We fight the battle by proclaiming truth. Okay, we, we all can have these lies that come to reside in our minds. And the battle goes from the heart and the mind to the mouth. And it's very important when lies come to reside rent-free in your brain, you proclaim truth over them. You verbally evict them from your minds. This is what I'm talking about. We all have certain lies that we dwell on. Perhaps you're dwelling on some even this morning as you come to church today. Some of us have been dwelling on lies like this. I am what I do. I am only as important as my last success. I'm only worth what I produce. You need to evict that lie in the name of Jesus Christ because the truth is you are not what you do. The truth is you are what Jesus has done for you by the blood of Christ free of charge based on his grace Freely given to us based on nothing that we have brought to the table. He says, you are a child of God. You hold on to that. And you proclaim truth over the lie. Others of us in this room might be in this lie that I'm suffering because there's something wrong with me. Have you ever believed that? That I'm suffering because something's wrong with me and strong Christians don't suffer. Friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You need to tell Satan to take that back to where he belongs. That is a lie. The truth is, from the very first pages of Genesis, we live in a fallen world where suffering will happen to all of us. And the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous, and the rain pours on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, but still I belong to you. Some of you are believing this lie that you'll never get unstuck. That you're in a place that is devoid of peace. That God won't ever forgive you for you fill in the blank. No. My peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he says. We hold on to these truths, we publicly proclaim them, we we close the door and privately proclaim them, whatever it takes to evict the lie that oftentimes dwells rent-free in our brains. Here's the deal, friends. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. He comes to steal your joy and destroy your hope and kill your peace. Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the full. I think of one little boy in our church who told his mommy, Mommy, you say I can't hate, but there is one person I can hate. That's Satan. I'm going to squash him, this boy said. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead, boy. You got it right. That's right. You squash him. You can hate that sucker. Send him back to where he belongs, by all means. Now, how did Jesus respond to Satan's temptations? Each and every one, he answered, it is written. It is written. It is written. What do you gather from that? you got to know the Bible. you got to have some biblical truth in you to respond to temptations. This is our sword. And so temptation comes your way. And defensively, you must have specific verses that you can call on that strengthen you in that moment of temptation. And offensively, you want to have specific verses that prevent that temptation from coming on you that you wouldn't even believe it in the first place. What are some lies that tend to take up residence free of charge in your mind? I really want to encourage you. Do a concordance study from the back of your Bible or go online and do a study of some kind and find a handful of verses that counteract that lie that you're tending to believe and get in the habit of regularly closing your office and verbally evicting the enemy out of, your, out of your mind by proclaiming the truth of Christ and praying over that truth. We win the battle in part by proclaiming truth. And finally, my friends, we are going to win the battle by rejoicing over our identity. I love here that just before the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, Jesus experiences the most loving words of the Father at his baptism. If you look at Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, why was Jesus baptized, by the way? to identify with you. He was baptized to identify with you. We are baptized to identify with him. He was baptized to identify with you. Holy moly. Man, mind blow up. Jesus identifies with us. Yes, he does. He's baptized to identify with you. That's another sermon for another day. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a Voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Oh, what a word. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And immediately thereafter, verse 1 of chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, God was not punishing Jesus. God was preparing Jesus for his next three and a half years of public ministry that would forever transform the world. So he's focused with the Father for 40 days. And the way it begins is he hears his identity from the Father once again. This is my beloved Son, who I love and whom I am well pleased. It's so fascinating to me that two of the three temptations given by Satan here are assaults on Jesus' true identity. Just follow me now as the band comes on stage and they're gonna lead us out in just a moment, but two of the three temptations go like this. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, verse two. Verse six, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Isn't that often how your temptations will come? Like it could be another person in your life Or it could be the enemy of your soul who says, if you're really a man, if you're really worthy of this crowd, if you're really worthy of this team, if you're really the son of God, he's assaulting Jesus' identity as he interrogates him. I got to believe that Jesus did a couple things in that moment. Obviously, he said, It is written, is written, is written. But I got to believe in that moment, as his identity is falsely assaulted, he goes back to the truth of his identity in that previous episode. I'm the son of God. Who are you, Satan? He delights in me, I am his beloved son. And I stand in his love. Do you regularly rejoice in your identity through Christ Jesus our Lord? I am firmly convinced that if Satan can so assault your sense of self worth that you don't believe you're worth much, he will, in effect, relegate you to the sidelines. And so he comes after our identity. And as he does, we have to go back to our true identity and rejoice over that. So one of the things that I regularly do is I remember back to the winter of 1996. And I let my mind go back to the mess that I was in. When I was in a self-made pit that was full of pride and all kinds of despair, a self-made pit full of all kinds of sin, and God reached in, and he pulled me out. And I was dead in my transgressions. And there's nothing that I could do to earn the approval of God. And yet he says, you are my child. By grace, through faith, Adrian. And I regularly go back to my baptism on October eighth, 2000, when I publicly proclaimed before a church and family and friends, many of whom believed and many of whom did not believe that I'm going with him. And yeah, I still have my doubts. And yeah, I still suffer. And yeah, I still sin. And I still have my struggles, but I'm going with him. And he says he will never disown his son. And I remember back to my first several years as a Christian when I said, What, you're inviting me to be on staff of a church? I could never be on stage in front of people. I hate public speaking. And now I'm exposing myself to you. God bless you and keep you. And I just remember, like, I was was a man of timidity. I was characterized by fear all the time. And I was outwardly prideful but inwardly scared. God says, by my spirit, I did not give you, Adrian, a spirit of timidity, but I replaced that with a spirit of boldness, of love, and of self control. Will you go with me in your weakness? So I regularly rejoice on these truths of my identity, even in the midst of the truth of my weakness. How about you? What truth of your identity do you need to rejoice over today? This is where we fight our battles. This is where the victory is won. This is where self-worth is cemented in stone. That you're a beloved child of God. What can the enemy do to you? So I wonder if you would stand with me here. And if perhaps you would read together with me this beautiful verse that affirms our identity in Christ based not on what we have done, but based on what Jesus has done to bring us into his family. And then we're going to sing about this, that I'm no longer a slave to that fear. You're no longer a slave to whatever made you a slave before. You're now a child of God. Would you read with me from Romans 8, verses 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God... Are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are children of God. We are God's children, you're God's child. Rejoice and give thanks with me as you sing.